Greetings, Kooks for Christ, friends of the ministry and first-time listeners. Welcome to The Point at UH Campus Ministry Podcast. Last week in our groups, we read Matthew 27, and we read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. What we want to do now is look at the meaning of his death. Why did Jesus have to die? What did the cross accomplish exactly? This discussion has been underway for some 2,000 years, so of course, different interpretations have emerged. That doesn't mean they're all correct, but we want to look at them all, or at least the three main categories, to expose you to them so you're not surprised if you hear a classmate or professor, friend, colleague, preacher say something different than what you understand to be the meaning of Jesus' death. This is part of the church's effort to equip disciples and share the good news. Before we continue, let me qualify this from the outset and say that, of course, I can't uncover every verse and aspect of the cross in a single podcast episode. It would be extraordinarily arrogant of me to assume that. So our goal here is to look at the three main ways the cross has been interpreted, and then we'll look to Scripture to unpack the world-changing effects of Jesus' death on the cross. Sound good? First, we're going to review the three major theories of atonement. If the word theory sounds odd to you as a way of interpreting the cross, just realize that all we mean by that here is different interpretations that have found a sizable audience. The word atonement, I said uh, theories of atonement. What does atonement even mean? Well, if you break it down, it becomes at one Atonement at one it means becoming one with something. In this case, humanity is made right or united with God by way of Jesus' death on the cross. So first, let's look at moral influence theory. In moral influence theory, Jesus dies from our sins, but not for our sins. And that's a big difference. He dies from our sins, but not for them. That is, yes, Jesus really died on the cross, according to this interpretation, but he died primarily as an example of God's love for us, an example that's so powerful that it's supposed to soften our hearts and move us back to God. Jesus' death here impacts humans in such a way as to influence or inspire them to live better, kinder lives. Now, Peter Abelard lived from 1079 to 1142 and helped develop this perspective. At its heart, though, moral influence Theory is a subjective one as opposed to being objective. That is, it is largely based on personal experience, point of view, and opinion. This view is prevalent on campus, both in the hallways and the classroom. It is more common in what we call mainline Christian denominations, but certainly not all of them. It falls short of the fuller biblical picture and uh, leads to statements like, yeah, the resurrection doesn't make or break my faith. Let me stop right here and say, you know, you're never going to, well, very unlikely that you're going to talk to somebody like in a coffee shop, let's say, and have a conversation about Jesus. And they say, oh, well, I'm a believer in this or that theory on it. I mean, so, but what happens is these trickle down uh, to ministers and then to church members and it gets talked about in um, in more loose kind of ways. So it might sound something like, you know, someone might say, yeah, the resurrection doesn't make or break my faith. Uh, whether Jesus was raised from the dead or not, he's a great example that inspires me to live a more loving life. Um, they might even say he's their main example, but it falls short of the fuller scriptural witness about what Jesus did on the cross. So let's talk about satisfaction theory. It's the most common view among evangelical Christians, and it is also referred to or maybe slightly different, but penal substitution is a phrase you might hear. Here, Jesus pays the penalty, uh, penal substitution, penalty. He pays the penalty for our sins, the debt that we owe God. 
accepting the punishment due to us through the cross, Jesus steps in as the substitute on our behalf to satisfy God's holy requirements. Anselm of Canterbury lived from 1033 to 1109. He proposed this theory in such terms. He lived in a feudal system, Anselm did, and used the metaphor of God being our feudal Lord, whom we've dishonored and need to repay. We can't afford to pay it, of course. So that's where Jesus comes in to die for our mistakes, and in so doing, pay the debt we owe our feudal Lord. John Calvin, the Reformation theologian who lived much later, modified this theory to fit his own context, stating it in terms of legal courtroom imagery with God as judge. We are the criminals who stand guilty, and the good judge must punish the guilty, of course, or else the judge could not be called a good judge. Uh, He has to bring justice to the situation according to the level of wrongdoing. Jesus steps in and bears the punishment for us on the cross, paying the full price for the sins of the whole world. Note that critics have raised a question sometimes, isn't this cosmic child abuse if the father is killing his own son? Well, this is why Jesus, uh, it's important to understand Jesus himself uh, biblically. Uh, And as Anselm and Calvin probably both knew, Jesus is the very word of God in the flesh. He and the father are one. Let's add here that Jesus fully, willfully chose to die for the world. The father did not force him into it. Check out John 10, 15 to 18. Now, the satisfaction theory is objective in that it does not rely on a matter of a hearer's opinion. It involves, it involves real offenses and real debts being paid that would be required for an unholy and righteous people to be united with a holy and righteous God. Jesus died not just from our sins in this case, but also for our sins. He accomplished something that made a concrete impact on the world that would not have otherwise been possible. Romans 3, 21 to 26 is a key passage here, and it especially makes clear how Jesus' death brings fulfillment to some of Israel's key turning points in history. We are justified or made right with God by faith in his son Jesus, just as Abraham was justified by faith. Jesus has also become the hilasterion, or mercy seat, the plate that covered the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God had priests atone for the sin of of Israel in the tabernacle on the day of atonement. All right, so we're going to look at Romans 3, 21 to 26 real quick. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, which is attested by the law and prophets, Paul says, the, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. Namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. There are a whole host of other verses listed on the blog for you to read about this uh, that sort of fit into this interpretation. So I encourage you to go to the blog, check those out, and read it. The final theory we need to talk about is Christus Victor, which is going to share a a, a section here with Ransom Theory because they're very similar. It's about rescuing humanity and the cosmos through the cross. This view of the cross emphasizes Jesus' victory over sin, death, and Satan. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he rescued humanity from the clutches of the powers of evil and our slavery to sin. Just as Israel was enslaved in Egypt to Pharaoh, the world is enslaved to sin and the powers of evil. Jesus on the cross initiates a new exodus, as it were, rescuing us out of bondage to sin and evil and delivering us into a new life. Irenaeus lived from 130 to 200 AD and helped develop this cosmic interpretation of the meaning of Jesus' death. Um, Chris's victor is a modification of what's called ransom theory, which more closely highlights the exchange of souls out of Satan's domain and into God's domain or rule or kingdom through the death of Jesus on the cross. They're similar enough for our purposes today that they're mentioned together. Chris's victor is thoroughly biblical and complementary to satisfaction theory. Victory over death is also uh, apparent in the resurrection, maybe especially apparent in the resurrection of Jesus, which is our subject for next week. So we'll talk about that more then. As for now, here are some verses uh, key to Chris's victor, and uh, there's a link on the site to read more about it. Colossians 1.13, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And I especially like Colossians 2, 13 to 15 here. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. And when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. Now that sounds a lot more like sub, uh, satisfaction theory, which shows you how hand in hand these will go. Let's keep reading. He set aside those legal demands or the, in the record that stood against us. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. So here, what you need to know about Colossians, it's a very spiritually oriented uh, book. That is, it talks about the spiritual realm and sort of cosmic dimensions to our existence. So when he says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in the cross, those rulers and authorities he's talking about are spiritual rulers and authorities. So Satan and his army, as it were. So other verses uh, related to that, Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, Matthew 20 to 28, where Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Go check out the blog and look up some of those verses sometime. Really powerful stuff. Both the satisfaction theory and Christus Victor work toward overcoming the full effects of sins, which affect not only humanity, but all of creation and its relationship with God. Because sin entered the world, everything is cursed from humans to animals and the very ground of the earth itself. Genesis three fourteen and 19. Jesus on the cross inaugurated God's new creation project to make all things new again. We'll talk more about that next week, but for now, let's look at how Scripture speaks of Jesus' death, having victory over all the broken aspects of our world, namely the theological aspects, our relationship with God, the sociological effects of sin, and our relationship with each other as humans, the ecological impact of sin, which is our relationship with the earth, or really the earth's relationship with God, actually, and the personal effects of sin in our own lives. So first, the theological and sociological, how Jesus mends our relationship with God and neighbor. Check out Ephesians 2, 14 to 28. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Both groups, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Verse 15, he's abolished the law with its commandments and an ordinance and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity 
in place of the two, thus making peace, and he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that were the Jews. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. That's uh, Ephesians sort of illuminating the theological and sociological mending that happens uh, on the cross. Next, let's talk about the ecological impact and uh, how the earth is redeemed to God through the cross. Paul writes in Romans eight eighteen to 21, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but of the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. So that is how God is redeeming uh, the whole creation, including the earth itself, to himself through Jesus. Finally, let's talk about the personal implications of this, how the cross mends us in our own hearts and our own lives and heals us. So in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Jesus himself says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. After Jesus' death, the world was never the same. His death paid the price of our sins and set us free from slavery to sin and death and evil powers. This has given us the promise of eternal life with God and set the cosmos back on the right trajectory of shalom with its creator. We can have hope in this, thanks not only to the cross, but also on account of Jesus being raised from the dead. And even though we wait with eager longing for our bodies to be resurrected like his, we live now in the confidence of knowing Jesus currently sits enthroned as God's anointed king and has authority over all powers. The Holy Spirit comforts us as we pursue God's mission of proclaiming all this good news to a broken world that needs the hope God gave us in Jesus. I hope this week's episode has been helpful to you as you think about uh, the meaning of Jesus' death and how to engage the campus and the world for the sake of the gospel. Next week, we will look at Matthew 28 or some concepts from it, namely resurrection, discipleship, evangelism, that sort of thing. So much to talk about in Matthew. It's been a, a real joy. We're coming close to the end of this series, but it's been awesome. We still got a ways to go. So hang in there this semester. And if you're not in school, but you're still listening, thank you for joining us. God bless you all. Until next time, have a great week. And this week especially, have a happy Thanksgiving.